welcome to the What to Expect While Fostering and Adopting podcast show. If you're a foster mom on the journey to adoption, already adopted, or somewhere in the middle, trying to figure out how to navigate the foster care system, wanting to grow your family through adoption, trying to balance everything, or stuck in that space of all things unknown, you're in the right place. What if there was a way to fast track your knowledge, prepare you for the good and the hard, and somebody who could answer that long list of questions I know you have? Hi friend, I'm Christine Marie, biblical mindset coach, adoptive mom, and previous foster parent of 77 children. Yep, you heard that right, 77 kiddos. I'm your host, and my goal is to help make your journey a lot easier by sharing my best tools, techniques, and skills that helped me pivot from foster care to adoption, fully surrender, and trust the process. I'm about to bring some calm to the chaos and show you how to navigate through this journey with a whole lot of grace. So go grab your cup of coffee and let's jump in. I am so excited that you're here with me today. And today we're going to take a deep dive into a topic that I feel like needs to definitely be discussed more. I feel like the awareness is not where it should be for the amount of children and adults that are living with this right now. So today we're going to talk about a topic, a diagnosis that is near and dear to my heart. It's called reactive attachment disorder, also known as RAD. And no, it's not RAD. It's not RAD at all, actually. So I want to share with you the first time that I had heard of this diagnosis was when my husband and I were in our certification classes and they talked about this topic under the umbrella of attachment disorders in children. And I definitely, we knew that with the small amount, like literally less than a few minutes that this was covered, we knew this was not a diagnosis that would be a good fit for us because there's no cure, okay? And it's the most severe form of attachment disorders. If you were to look it up in the DSM, it says there's no cure. There's treatment, there's therapies, there's medications that you can use for it, but there really isn't a whole lot of information on this diagnosis out there and available. In fact, the treatment providers that help kiddos and adults with this, it's really actually challenging to find somebody who truly gets it. So when you look it up though, it says that it is a rare condition where children don't form an emotional bond with their caregiver. Children who are adopted may experience rad. Now here's the thing that I really want to talk about. It says it's rare, but I don't believe it is. I don't believe it is at all. I want you to think about in utero, When a child, when a baby is developing and growing and every day that their cells are duplicated, I want you to think about the nourishment that they get, the warmth that they get. Maybe their mother or caregiver, um, caregivers around them are talking to them. And when you have a child in utero whose mother is using drugs or alcohol or in a domestic violence situation, that experience or even not eating regularly because they're using drugs, that child's in utero experience is very, very different, okay? On a neurological level, the brain pathways that are being formed are very different. So that child, and it has been proven that children in utero who are exposed to drugs feel pain. They feel pain. So imagine that child feeling pain on such a regular basis that when that child is born, pain is a normal feeling for them. That 
I believe is why some children are also born with reactive attachment disorder. It also, by having this disorder, I do believe that it is passed down from mothers to children. It's in your DNA. Like the behaviors, the cellular mutations that happen in utero, I firmly believe that. We have had children come into our home that were babies that showed signs and symptoms of reactive attachment disorder and were later on diagnosed with that. We've had children that we've gotten from a young age with reactive attachment disorder and received a diagnosis. We took in teenagers who had not received a diagnosis of reactive attachment disorder, which is worth of diagnoses, right? And medications that they were on to manage the behaviors, they had not yet received the diagnosis. And then once they received that diagnosis, that is when the pieces began to come together. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, my husband and I said when we had boundaries around children that we would adopt that would be a good fit for, we already had our two biological kids, our boys, and we had boundaries around which children would be a good fit for our family. We'll be doing another episode later on about boundaries. And you know, I want to encourage you to figure out with your family and your spouse or significant other, what's important to you? What diagnoses do you feel that you with your experience are able to take on? When we were doing our uh, foster care classes, I was 27 years old and I didn't have a lot. I had two little kids. I didn't have a lot of parenting experience. So for us, we said we were not able to take a child with reactive attachment disorder or a child with fetal alcohol syndrome. I just didn't feel equipped. Now, fast forward, we ended up taking a lot of foster care placements with kids with FAS and RAD. We didn't know. The truth is is that a lot of times the story and the information that you get on a foster child or an adoptive child is only what the parent is able or willing to share or what is documented. But you're not always getting the full story And that makes a really big difference in the diagnoses and the treatment for the kiddos in your care. I also remember the information that was shared with us regarding reactive attachment disorder was that the child would be withdrawn and fussy and not making a lot of eye contact and that they would internalize everything and they wouldn't ask for help. And yet, as I learned more about reactive attachment disorder and spoke with therapists, I realized there's actually two two types of reactive attachment disorder. And some of the behaviors that we were seeing in another one of our children that was then later on diagnosed with that second form of reactive attachment disorder, um, she sought comfort from anybody. She went to strangers. She had zero stranger danger. And she would call whoever her mother. She would seek comfort from anybody. And I was told, oh, that's so cute. That's adorable by people who didn't understand the consequences of what this diagnosis meant. I had people who would say, oh, she's so adorable, here, I'll hold her. And I had to have boundaries of, no, please do not touch my child 
because she didn't understand um, as a young child that this wasn't safe. But other people would look at me like I was mean and horrible. And, you know, I had a very strict schedule for our foster children with this diagnosis because it almost had to be, and I don't want to say like militant, but this is what time you get up. This is when you take a shower. This is when you do these things because that was the best environment for them to thrive in. I also remember there's the other side of it where I believe that as the mother or the mother figure that because I believe a lot of times and not always, but that reactive attachment disorder can be caused in utero. And so I believe that being taken away from your first connection, your first bond, which is your mother, can also cause reactive attachment disorder, right? So I believe a lot of times the mother or the mother caregiver or the adoptive mom is actually the person who receives the most behaviors and sees the reactive attachment first. So for me, my husband saw a totally different child than I saw. And over year, the years, it made me feel crazy. It made me feel like nobody understood. And when I would explain this to people and even other foster parents, and they would say, oh, that's just normal behavior. That's from trauma. That's from this. But it wasn't. And then the gaslighting is there as well. So another way that I have ex described reactive attachment disorder to friends with no experience of trauma or foster care is that a lot of people seem to be very familiar with narcissism. And so I have used that word to describe this diagnosis to, for people who just don't understand as well. And of course, then you get the judgments of, oh my goodness, how could you possibly describe your child like this? And it's not because I don't love them. It's not because I want them to be this way. It's because my child was not loved and cared for, or this foster child was not loved and cared for in the ways that met their needs so that they could develop healthy attachments. And so their brain uh, pathways were developed that comfort and love feels wrong. So I am not certain what therapies may have worked for other people, but I know for us, we tried a lot of therapies. And with our foster children, we tried a lot of therapies and a lot of different types of therapies and spent a lot of money. But to rewire a brain to rewire neural pathways that were developed in utero that senses pain as a normal feeling, I'm not quite sure other than God who can heal a reactive attachment disorder child or adult. So there are definitely our treatments. There's medication that will help make the behaviors a little bit less but then there's always side effects to the medications, right? But the true thing is, is reactive attachment disorder, and I'm speaking to the mom, is isolating, it's lonely, it is despair until somebody 
gets it. Until somebody recognizes and connects with you and says, I get it. That is so validating. I remember that moment when we had one of our kiddos and she was so terrible to me, so terrible all the time to me when we were alone, when it was just her and I. And then she was wonderful and happy and delightful and the perfect student and the perfect friend and the perfect everything to everybody else. And my husband was behind me as I walked into the bathroom and she was not brushing her teeth properly. Now, this was very frustrating for me because as her parents, we were the ones as, you know, as her foster parents who were responsible for her teeth, right? And she thought it was a game or she at least acted like it was a game. And so she wasn't brushing them properly. And so of course I was having that conversation with her and she got really not kind with me. And you know, if you have a kiddo with reactive attachment disorder, I'm sugarcoating that. So my husband was right behind us and he wasn't visible though. And then he peeked his head out and was like, hey, and she was a completely different child. And I left to go to the room because I was so frustrated and so devastated that here we are again. And I had been walking through these situations happening over and over and over for years. And I desperately wanted somebody to validate. And my husband walked into the room afterwards and he said, I saw that. I saw what happened. And... I said, what do, you, what do you mean you saw what happened? You saw her, what, act perfect to you? And he said, no, I saw how she treated you and I saw how she instantly flipped her switch when I walked in. And I can't even tell you that moment that I felt restored. Now, of course, I still had all the pain and the heartache from all of those years, but it was like light, like a sliver of hope had been given to me, that somebody finally saw it and somebody got it. And I remember telling my husband, this is how she is all the time. And I, I couldn't stop trying to explain that I wasn't crazy to him. And he got it. And we went further on to then put cameras in our kitchen and dining room. And he was able to see that this behavior wasn't just momentary, it was constant towards me. And it was a constant new mask that was put on every single time that somebody else came in the room or somebody else did something where they were visible. And then once it began being addressed by my husband, then the mask was removed for my husband. Now, not 100%. I still get the brunt of it. I still did get the brunt of it, right? But it was validation. I firmly believe that the mother is targeted the most by kiddos with reactive attachment disorder or the person who is the primary caregiver. I would love to hear your thoughts on this in our uh, Facebook group, what to expect while fostering and adopting if you have kiddos with reactive attachment disorder. We're definitely gonna do multiple series on this because there's so much more to dive into with this. And I really want you to understand how common this is. These kiddos, have been abused, neglected, and removed from their primary caregiver. This is not their fault that they have this diagnosis, but it's also not your fault as their primary caregiver. So it's super important that you take the steps to get breaks. It's super important that you have at least one person in your life 
who gets it, who understands. And if that's just me right now, I will feel in that space, but I encourage you to share this podcast with somebody else in your life who doesn't get it because it's lonely and it's isolating and you're not alone. This diagnosis is so much more common than it's than most people talk about. I've been I've had over the years I've had multiple friends with children with the same diagnosis and it is soul crushing. And they some of my friends have been through horrendous situations and experiences. So when I looked up the statistics of how many children have reactive attachment disorder or how common it is, online you'll find that it's that they say it's about 1 to 2% of children. I do not agree with this statistic. So what I've seen with kiddos with RAD, with reactive attachment disorder, the inhibited type is, and like I mentioned, before, there are two types of reactive attachment disorder. The one type that I was taught about when I was in training classes is the inhibited. And those are the kiddos who don't respond emotionally to what's going on. They may not show or seek attention from caregivers and avoid caregivers, avoid social situations. And these might be the kids when you go to give them a hug, they tense up really tight because it feels extremely uncomfortable. Then there's the other type of reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited. These are the kiddos that you almost might assume that they have ADHD or they're hyperactive or they had too much sugar. But these kiddos will spend so much time playing and they will never check in with their caregivers. They act younger than their age and they might even like to hang around or play with other kids that are much younger than them. They might also seek attention and affection from other people that are unsafe. But these kiddos or teenagers can often seek attention from anybody. They have no inhibition from holding back, even if it's unsafe. They will, they don't understand social boundaries. I've had some kiddos who um, were diagnosed on the spectrum disorder when it was actually reactive attachment disorder. So there's no there's no cure for reactive attachment disorder, but beginning the conversation and beginning to share and being open that this is something that is more common than one to two percent of children in foster care is the beginning. Hey friend, I hope that you loved today's episode. I pray it blessed you and helped you see that you have a friend in your corner who truly understands what you're walking through. If so, would you share this episode with someone who's been praying for a breakthrough in their own journey? It would also bless me big time and help others to find this podcast if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also submit your questions, topics that you would like covered and find a community of like-minded mamas in my private Facebook group by searching what to expect while fostering and adopting on Facebook. See you next time.